Alright, uh, what are you up to? Alright, man. Uh, not much. I'm just... I'm taking these nanites, right, that Wesley discovered, uh, and I'm making yeah. them big enough so that they're just knights. Oh, right. It's quite an important... It's quite an important function of a of a of a flagship. You see, what happens is space, <sighs> the final frontier. Is this just, is this is this just every day now? Are, we, are we supposed to be quiet? You, you, you were on the away team last week, weren't you? He's, he's he's doing this every shift. Does he just do it with the same inflection all the time? Well, I hope so. He did some very offensive voices last week. Because he's not just doing it like at the beginning of every shift. He's like doing it when he leaves for a lunch break and comes back. Has he done the Cardassian accent yet? Because the thing is, well, he, he thinks that that's okay. Have you not noticed? Have you not? Have you not noticed that a lot of his punchlines are delivered in a Cardassian accent these days? It's all I'm going to say is it's it's not even a good Cardassian accent, which means that it's somehow offensive to both the Cardassians and the French. Podcasts. A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain's Slug. Its ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slog, Stardate 47. These are the continued voyages of Eddie Edwards and Mark Bench as we work our way through all of Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, yeah, it's been gone a while, if you don't count Christmas. Um, so, yeah, how you been, Mark? What you been up to? Um, not a lot, mate. Uh, <laughs> what have I been up to? Christmas, Christmas and New Year. I'm not a new... <clears throat> Not much of a, not much of a rev- revolutions, resolutions. <laughs> New Year's, I'm not for a New Year's revolution. Not much of a resolutions guy. Um, Bill Egan asked me if I'm, if I was, um, and I, I don't know if I am. I don't know if I, uh, partic- I don't know if I particularly subscribe to the idea. Look, I don't. Right. I don't. I don't like organised fun. Right. I think it's. I, I don't know if it's just because I'm a miserable bastard. I don't particularly like going out for like the big days, like like Hogmanay, New Year's Eve. Uh, it, it, uh, uh, what else do we celebrate? And that's called VE Day. Um, I don't like the big the big party that we all have for VE Day. Um, I, I, um, oh, I hate VE Day. Valentine's Day. The fireworks always set the dog off. <laughs> Um, I don't really, I don't really like it. But, but, but converse to that, I also don't really like um, organised criticism. I like to criticise myself <laughs> on my own time and at my own <laughs> pace. Right. So yeah. the, the idea of having, oh, here's a thing about myself that I don't quite get on with. So I'll pick a day, January the first, 
Uh, which, to be like, there's already enough going on on January the 1st, right? You, it's already the day that there's only 31 days left to get your taxes done. Right? You're already busy. <laughs> there's, there's no need to to bring something else in. Right? Don't, don't try to lose weight now. Right? It's like, you know how when they, when they say um, the worst time to donate blood is immediately after a terrorist attack? You know the way they say that? <laughs> It, yeah, no, it's a it. common saying. My 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 mum always used to say that for me. It was uh, uh, starve a starve a flu, feed feed a feed a cold, uh, and never donate blood directly after a terrorist attack. No, because uh, but, but she she mainly said that because she was in the IRA uh, and she wanted the damage to be permanent. <laughs> the thing is, right, it's, it's one of these things where um, if you donate blood immediately after a terrorist attack, you can be assured that everyone else is doing it. The best thing to do if you want to donate blood, genuinely, is 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 give it about six weeks and then and then do it then because obviously they're they're, they're going to have run, run low on their supplies, right? But we all know this. Um, that that's what I'm like with with resolutions. I'm just like, don't make it now. Just what to do is do what I'm doing, right? Just treat January the seventh like January the first. So I'm I'm taking this whole week because people people always give it or oh, the week between. Christmas and New Year when you don't really know what's going on and you just eat whatever you want. No, that's that's playing life on easy mode. What to do is do it on hard mode. Have that week where you're also get at work and shit, right? <laughs> do it between <laughs> January the first and January the seventh. And then on January the seventh, that's when I'm gonna start enacting my, my, my resolutions, which to be honest in general are lose weight and try to be a bit more conscious about when you're being an asshole. Um because, you know, so you have to realise that, Mark, the way that you think is acceptable to be treated is maybe not the same way that other people find acceptable to be treated. And, and sometimes you, you, people just aren't up for it the way that you are. And you just need to learn to have, give yourself a bit of empathy and give a bit of empathy. To, to, that's my revolutions. Resolutions is lose weight and <laughs> stop being such a, a cunt. No, yeah, my, my, my revolution is obviously going to be behead the king. But but my resolution, <laughs> right, you, should, you should do what I do for resolutions, which is what I've done. And this is a this might not work for everyone, but it's a good good technique. Is what I've done is instead of having resolutions of my own, I've been given a complicated plan of physiotherapy to help me recover from uh, brain injury. Uh, so I'm just doing that. Uh, it was like it's it's like they were like oh yeah to regain the control in your hand what you want to do is like draw for like 20 minutes a day every day and i was like that's more or less what i want to do anyway so yeah that's great (laughs) and i've been told i should try uh, i want to try okay so i tried swimming since we last spoke right and swimming with no balance it's oh jesus christ uh it was like swimming in a boat on a cruise ship in a storm and then I went to the physiotherapist, and they were like, "You know what's really good? Swimming." And I was like, "No, it's not. It's a fucking nightmare." I goes, "Yeah, no, it did two lengths. If it takes you more than fifteen minutes to recover, ease back." <laughs> <laughs> so I, mean, I guess the way yeah. that you, you learn to skydive is by jumping out of planes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so- well, the, the reason actually the way you learn to skydive is by watching some sort of comprehensive video training and being fitted for a parachute. Then jumping out of planes. Don't just jump out of a plane. If you want to learn skydive and you're just on your next holiday flight, don't just open the door uh, and dive out. <laughs> so also, uh, towards the end of last year, I uh, I think I spoke to you about this, but I, I put myself in to be 
assessed for adult autism. Yeah. And uh, they send you a questionnaire. They send you two questionnaires. One's to be filled out by you and one's to be filled out by your parents. Um, right, okay. And I filled mine out and it was like... I, I, I think I've discussed this, but the, the questions are obviously designed for, like specifically to, to catch you out and stuff like that, right? Um, but the, the, my parents sent theirs back uh, and they said, listen, we filled this out as honestly as we could. Uh, whether you take it or not, like whatever, but this is as far as we can remember. And they filled it out and it made Mark look like just a regular little boy who loved coming up and having chats and and, and very, 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 very well adjusted socially, right? Cause, and, and my mum even put, what's really weird is that we wouldn't answer these questions the same for you now as an adult, but as a wee boy, you were a very, 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 very well adjusted wee boy. I was like, all right, maybe I was. Okay, fair enough. So fast forward about two weeks later, uh, we discovered a home movie uh, that my granddad had filmed on Christmas morning. Uh, like 1991 right okay and it's and it's 90 minutes long and it mainly Stephen my brother had was born but it mainly focuses on Mark uh, and uh, <laughs> my brother turned to them at one point and went sorry this is the kid you think isn't on the spectrum um, like that footage of, of three year old Mark very clearly Shows a kid that <laughs> probably has some behaviours that likely should have been addressed at the time. Um, <laughs> quite, quite simply, well. <laughs> That's the the problem, though, is when you were born in the like, if you were born in the eighties, any weird behaviour was just described. It was just yeah, it was weird. Yeah, your parents were like, well, maybe we'll get to school. Bullies will sort that out. <laughs> yeah, what really, yeah, what really should have happened is that a doctor should have sat my parents down and went, listen. It's normal for a child to like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's weird for a child to like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on the level that this kid does. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite bizarre, in fact. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> so anyway, that was really eye-opening. <laughs> I've just got this image now of you like explaining to your parents in detail that the coloured... Uh, the coloured uh, uh, bandanas didn't come in until the animated series and they were all red in the original image comics although yeah. it's only referred to as red they were in black and white <laughs> but a, a, big, a big part of it was my gran who sadly passed away uh, but half the video was obviously taken from a few days later when my parents brought me and Stephen round to my grand's to be watched um, and I came in and I was like I want to watch the turtles video and then they put on the turtles video and they were trying to talk to me about it and I was just like six inches away from the TV, just giving very cursory answers, like, do you like the turtles? Yes. Back to the screen. They kept trying to ask me details about the turtles, which I would fill them in on, but I guess at the time I wouldn't have realised, no, they're not asking you these things because they're interested, they're asking you these things because <laughs> they were because interested they in you as a person. You, which which <laughs> is a lesson that I still haven't really taken to heart as a 34 year <laughs> it's only, it's only in recent times that my wonderful fiance the love of my life has finally started to become comfortable with just looking bored at what I'm talking about <laughs> oh, um, Emma's been at that, that that stage for a very very long time <laughs> like, I, don't, I, I don't care about wrestling why are you talking to me about this because I, I, if you weren't here I'd be talking about this out loud to myself you can put the dog Evie here I, work until 5pm who, who else am I meant to speak to about this <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
anyway, anyway Star yeah. Trek. Goodbye. Yeah, we both watched an episode of Star Trek. We watched this episode weeks ago. Uh, and I've looked at my notes. Um, Bev's back. Yep. Beverly Crusher's back. And at the end of the episode, gets weirdly over-defensive of a child that she abandoned for a year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Do we ever find out what Beverly's in-character reason for abandoning her son was? Uh, she was made chief of uh, the medical staff at Starfleet Academy. Right. Uh, but uh, she uh, apparently... But the thing is, in a, a, a well-written show, Mark... That could that possibly set up some interesting strands where things that Beverly had been dealing with for the last year might come into play in the future show. But unfortunately, 1990s episodic television didn't have fucking story arcs, so it doesn't. It's just never mentioned again. Uh, now, <laughs> which is is fine. Yeah, it's I fine. Guess, I guess you do have the. There is the advantage of having no baggage. Yeah, yeah. The people don't like. The funny thing is, as well, like those sorts of story arcs that you get, you get in TV all the time now. You don't really get in any TV that exists prior to. Weirdly, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine was the first one that did it. Was like, no, you need to watch every fucking week because we're going to tell deep interpersonal stories about people, and like yeah. people are going to come back seven times. I guess Buffy, <laughs> Buffy had that because like. I've never really watched Charmed, uh, other than <laughs> over Laura's shoulder uh, when she's been watching it, and I, I, I never really took to Charmed. I, I think ironically, it's like Buffy without the charm. Um, but <laughs> that that did, did that have it? Did Charmed predate Buffy? I, I think so. As 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 far as I can remember, I think Deep Space Nine. Like this, this run of Star Trek into Deep Space Nine happens starts before Buffy, and Buffy starts before Charmed. So Buffy, Buffy for me is is like a is like the threshold of when TV becomes important and, and like <laughs> and like episodic, but, but yeah. also with with character arts that that continue. Um, yeah, Deep Space Nine must have been what nineteen ninety three. So Buffy was ninety seven, uh, and Deep Space Nine uh, was ninety three. Yeah. So yeah, and no, and also Babylon Five came out after Deep Space Nine, but Deep but Babylon Five Deep Space Nine is a rip off of Babylon Five, possibly. Yeah, I can't Even... remember if it was you who told me this, <laughs> but, but G. Michael Straczynski pitched. Babylon 5 yeah and then about 6 months later Deep Space 9 came on and he was kind of righteously kind of annoyed about it but he didn't say anything and I believe that what he does is he says well, if anyone asks about, about it now he will always retort well the thing is we got both Babylon 5 and Deep Space 9 if I had kicked off about it, we probably would have got nothing. So television yeah. itself is better off by the fact that I just kind of let them steamroll me for it, which is, is fair. Yeah, 
I think there's the story is that he knew some people who were working the production of ba- of Deep Space Nine, yeah. like personally, who didn't know the story about him pitching um, until later on, uh, and then he suddenly was like, "What well, if I kick off now? Four of my friends will lose their jobs." Yeah. Uh, so let's let's not do that, and instead argue that the existence of Deep Space Nine proves that there's a market for the science fiction series I want to make. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess, like TV, like sci-fi TV in the nineties, like Next Generation, is obviously regarded as like a masterpiece of television, for a reason. It's it's yeah. because it is, but I think we even at the time we'd sort of started to prove that science fiction doesn't just have to be Star Trek. Yeah, it's. I think that Deep Space, like I think the the Deep Space Nine. Next Generation crossover is interesting because Deep Space Nine is kind of the beginning of like that episodic yeah. storytelling. You can rely on people watching every week. You're getting video releases so people can catch up. There are reruns. Uh, whereas Next Generation is kind of like really the peak of what you can do with the like episodic format to the point where now that like you can now start like Strange New Worlds gets to turn up. And its entire gimmick is no, no, no. We're just, we're just telling. It's just episodes. Yeah, just tune in whenever you feel like it. Yeah, yeah, that's our thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There'll be some characters who might die or whatever, but who can, like you already know where this story is going because it's the it's the original series. Yeah, and also, yeah, when, I do. You, when, when, one of the best things about Stranger Worlds is that they they cut off this idea of. Well, maybe this Pike survives, or maybe it will turn out this is an alternative reality, and they're just really hammering home. No, no, this no. This, this Pike has the Pike <laughs> that you already know that, that it's going to end up in the in the sauna machine, no matter what he does. It doesn't. It's because Pike as a character doesn't work if that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, that's like on a logical level, and they know that people on an emotional level are going to be like, "Oh, there's got to be some way out of it," and it's just no. I mean, he doesn't know that he ends up living in the... like He has the beep chair for a bit, and then he ends up back on the planet from the cage. And he ends up living in, like, a bliss with, like, a, a hot space woman for the... You know, he doesn't know about that bit. He's just He just knows the beep chair's coming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. I want to say one thing about this episode. I suppose we um, I've got to attempt to speak about this episode. Right. Then. Okay, I want to talk about specifically the guest actor Ken Jenkins, who appears in this episode. Who, if you you will know as Bob Kelso, um, because it's Bob Kelso, uh, and it's great. But I really like the fact that um, his character is called Paul Stubbs. <laughs> Why? Because I, 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 I like the fact that in the space year, whatever, there's still people like because the uh, it, I like the idea that. How, no matter how many years you go into the future, there are pe- still people called like Greg. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I think there's still people who, who are named for like if you were to read an article in the Sun, like this is someone down the pub that they asked about this particular. Yeah, like local oh, bus driver oh, oh, Paul, Paul Stubbs. Yeah, Paul Stubbs absolutely <laughs> agrees that people should be learning maths up until eighteen at school. I was in the pub the other day, and I'll tell you this: the lassie behind the bar, she didn't even know that two fifty and two fifty is five. Paul Stubbs, 51. <laughs> I, I reckon that when you're quoted in the sun, they shouldn't um, they shouldn't 
give you uh, the age of the person. They should tell you um, how comfortable your daughter, their daughter, would be introducing them to a black boyfriend, <laughs> like as a percentage. <laughs> I think that'd be much more useful. What Paul Stubbs, fifty-six. I'd call it the get-out quotient. Uh... <laughs> One to ten, with a get-out of eight point nine five. Paul Stubbs doesn't understand why these people aren't taught English as well. They come in here, they send all their kids to all the schools, and the kids can't even speak English. And then all the teachers are having to spend all their time, and that's why the education system's falling apart. Get out. Yeah. 8.6. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, why? Yeah, I hope that there's a. I hope that, <laughs> I hope that next week there's this uh, guest character called Tom Gascoigne. <laughs> no, 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 the guest character in next week is called Ral Moat. <laughs> Um, Do you think Raul Moat was ahead of his time? <laughs> do you think? Do you think? Look, if, do you think if he just stuck it out for like Brexit <laughs> and like the current Tory government, he would have been quite happy? <laughs> I think if he was alive, if he if he'd been born ten years later, Raul Moat could have served in at least four Tory cabinets by now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anyway, Paul Stubbs uh, isn't. I, I, I really okay. I've got some general notes about things that I can remember now. So, this episode, it's clear the budget went up between like two and three. Like they got to season three, and I think they were like, "Well, the figures are good. The viewing figures are good, even though everyone agrees it's not a good show." So, what if we gave them some money? That was how they got Gates <laughs> McFadden back. She yeah. was like, I don't give a shit about a pay rise. So long as the show looks better, I'll be there. No, no, she, they, they just told her that Jean was ill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can barely visit the set. I'm in. <laughs> um, but, um, I, I, yeah, I, I do like that they have a little scene to just remind everybody quickly that who Beverly Crusher is and that she's Wesley Crusher's mum. Because you, as a viewer, might have forgotten that. When she abandoned her child. Yep. <laughs> um, was there anyone on Pulaski? No, she's just gone. She she, she wronged she wronged Picard, and uh, Jed, Jensen fucking spaced her. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's some fucking fan service you could do, Star Trek makers. Like, don't fucking in Picard season three. Fucking tell us what fucking happened to Pulaski. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> just, ha- just right, what what you got to do, right, is Picard gets back on the Enterprise and he's like, this captain's quarters isn't big enough. I want you to knock it down the wall between this quarters and the quarters <laughs> next door so that I've got a double a room and then they knock down the wall and Pulaski's been, <laughs> been phased into it. <laughs> like O'Brien no, no, was no, so sick of her shit one day that he just, he just fucking beamed her like, in between two walls of the Enterprise. No, he takes down. Uh, he, they get rid of the wall, and then it's just it, that's Pulaski's room next door. And Pulaski's <laughs> like, "What are you doing?" And he goes, "Well, get rid of that." 
I don't. I don't know why in my head Picard is Matt Berry in this. <laughs> Absolutely fucking not. <laughs> I think I, the, the, obviously now we can go anywhere with Star Trek, but we are crying out for a Matt Berry captain. I think Lo- Lower Decks is the only one they'll be allowed to do it on, <laughs> but we can have that. Rian Johnson, the uh, the director of um, Knives Out, Glass Onion, Brick, and the worst Star Wars movie ever made. Wow. Um, he's uh, <laughs> uh, he it is it's, it's so bad. And it's not, anyway, it's, it, Last Empire is the best one. Last Jedi is the best one since Empire. It, it, mm, uh, uh, look, this isn't a Star Trek no, podcast. This is the no, Star Wars yeah. podcast, <laughs> right? But. Uh, he said apparently that it's a, he considers it a goal in his career to work with Matt Berry at some point, and the idea of having Matt Berry in a movie with Daniel Craig's Benoit Blanc <laughs> might be the best thing that anyone's ever suggested. <laughs> what, did, what did you think of Glass Onion? What, once again, if you're uh, here for Star Trek, you're you're shit at a lot because we both watched this episode about six weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, uh, we might touch on some stuff, but no, yeah, what do you think of Glass Onion? L- uh, Knives Out was better. Yep. But I, I absolutely, I absolutely loved uh, Glass Onion. If you haven't watched it, mild spoilers. Um, for a, a, an opening like half of the movie, I was like, oh, this, uh, this Edward Norton character. It's like if uh, Elon Musk was actually a genius. <laughs> and then the other shoe drops, and I'm like, oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> um. <clears throat> And the I, fact that Dave Batista is basically playing Andrew Tate. I, I, I know how long movies take to make, and it can't possibly have been deliberate, but it's so perfect. <laughs> my um, my brother started almost uh, like getting really anxious because uh, Ethan Hawke is in the film, in like a is cameo he? role. Yeah, Ethan Hawke is the guy, when they all come together to get on the boat to go to Ed Norton's Island, Ethan Hawke yeah. is the driver who tells them, oh, we're going to give you this inoculation and you can take your mask off now. Okay. So my, my brother the whole time was just like, it has to have something to do with Ethan Hawke because <laughs> why would you get Ethan Hawke if you're not going to use him? And then it turns out later that Ethan Hawke was just filming Moon Knight like, around the corner and just was like, I love that. It's like we got Hugh Grant in for... 30 seconds, probably at most three takes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I really liked it. And, I, and it, it is that way, especially after watching Knives Out, where I was like, I want a hundred of these. But I, yeah. wor- I worry that if they go ahead, they have to make sure that in no other Benoit Blanc film is Benoit Blanc the main character. Because they're, yeah. they're going to Jack Sparrow him. If if they get the chance, because he's got a fun voice, and he and he and he, he and he dresses well, he's he it, he's got to be in no more than one third of the movie. It the problem is if it feels like he's it feels like he's a character from like a book. Yeah, uh, and like there's a and like there's an Agatha Christie character, and there's like forty or fifty of these books, but there's not. They the only series of these exist as long as Daniel Craig's still having fun doing it. Which it looks uh, like he's having the most fun. A, a, he's having a blast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the reveal that uh, Benoit Blanc is shit at Cluedo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he gets really annoyed about it. 
Alibaba. Yeah, I think. I mean, but what do you want Matt Berry to be? Do you want Matt Berry to be uh, like the antagonist or a suspect, or do you want, which is what they should do, which is Matt Berry is essentially the Watson to his hopes? <laughs> no, you see, you've gone the you've gone the other way. I want Matt Berry to essentially be the the Moriarty to his homes. <laughs> oh, that's fair. I want him to be like a rival detective, yeah. Who who's 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 genuinely bitter and hateful about the fact that Benoit Blanc is considered the world's greatest detective because he's the guy who people come to if they can't afford Benoit Blanc <laughs> or Benoit Blanc's busy. Are you, do you remember the end of uh, Sherlock Holmes two, the the Robert Downey Jr. one? Yes, uh, I do. when they essentially Moriarty and uh, and Holmes essentially have a fight while playing chess because they both realise that they're so proficient at hand-to-hand combat that there's basically no point in them fighting because they'll just beat each other, so they just play yeah. chess instead. We should do that with uh, Cluedo. Benoit <laughs> Blanc and Matt Berry playing Cluedo, but as an analogue for a fight. <laughs> oh... Look, look, I know you like to like write your own, write your own stuff, Rian. But uh, if you really want to make this project work, me, 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 and Mark will write the script. Yeah, back to you. <laughs> Did you see? And I promise it will only mostly be Matt Berry yelling "fuck off." <laughs> <laughs> he fucking did it. <laughs> he fucking did it. Um, also, once again, apologise, apologies, James. For you've been waiting for. James is our, our, our only fan. Stockholm <laughs> slash Mark and Eddie make a podcast. Um, uh, I know we have other fans, but but they don't. They're not as vocal as you are. I know. I know you were, you've been waiting for this to come back, and you're like, oh, I can't wait for them to discuss Star Trek. And we've done very little Star Trek discussion. But did, did you see Enola Holmes too? Uh, oh yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I I like that. Do you know about the legal? battle they've been having over the Enola Holmes. Yeah, you've t- you've spoken about well, it on, on yeah. here before. Yeah. Where he's too respectful for women. But no, all of all of uh all of uh, Sherlock Holmes is public domain now. So fuck the Ooh. the Doyle the Doyles, they've been dicks about this. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I enjoy I thoroughly enjoyed Enola Holmes. If you uh, if you still haven't seen it, if you if you care enough about the Enola Holmes franchise that you care about spoilers, but not enough that you <laughs> haven't watched it yet. Uh, maybe, maybe skip over the, the next little bit, but um, I really like the their choice of Watson. Oh yeah, Manish Patel, that's a good choice because we, yeah, because we were sitting there the whole film going, well, you have to Watson. If 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 Cavill's getting his own spin-off, he has to have a Watson. It, his Moriarty doesn't really matter. Like we can we can get into that later, right? But we have to give him a fucking Watson. So who do you give Henry Cavill? Hamish Patel wasn't one of the choices that we went for, but it is a spectacular choice yeah and and if, if you are a fucking historical purist who wants to try and uh, argue about this um uh, a, a person of, of hamish patel's uh, complexion shall we say being somebody who worked for the british army overseas actually fully fits in with what the british fucking army was and what they were fucking doing at the time so uh yeah fuck you uh, <laughs> I didn't see. I didn't go to see any of my extended family this year, so I didn't have to listen to anyone being super. <laughs> so it's actually really refreshing. 
No, but uh, yeah, yeah. I they only make up thirteen percent of the population. Mark, why are they in so many adverts? Because it's because uh, because oh, yeah, the company have worked out that pissing off people like you, you racist, is uh, is is going to make them more money than getting you on side. Maybe you should spend more and have a better job. Oh, you don't because you've not got an education. It's, it's not uh, even that because I've, I've looked into this. It, it's more that um, it's not that the it's not that people who find who get pissed off at that won't buy it. It's that they've realised that the tiny percentage of those people who will not buy it because of diversity in the adverts is so insignificant compared to the amount of people who will buy a product because they see themselves in the diversity of the advert is like yeah. way higher yeah um, it's, that's it it's one of these things where I, I, I looked into it because it's actually really really interesting the way that it works people of colour are more likely to buy a thing if they see a person of colour advertising it whereas white people just we because we've spent so long seeing ourselves as the default in advertising that it doesn't affect us. No, yeah, we just assume that an advert is is for us because they all are. Yeah, because why, cause why wouldn't it be? <laughs> <laughs> they obviously want us to buy things. We are the majority. They, they want us to buy the shit, but what they also want is minorities to buy them. And the minority of white people who are going to get annoyed just they don't give a shit about. Like I fucking I used to love getting into these arguments because these huge these would be huge arguments around my extended family, and it, and the whole and no one would ever listen. Look, don't get me wrong. This is exactly the same thing as when people argue about how things work in Star Trek, and you lean in and go, you know, it's just a TV show, right? But, <laughs> which is the worst argument, right? But the fact of the matter is, like, advertising companies. They don't care. Like they're not. They don't give a shit. Like they're not. They're not there to fucking. Like it is a big thing in our family that it's like, why are they so overrepresented in adverts? Why are people of color so over? Well, that's not what they call them. Um, but why are they so <laughs> overrepresented in adverts? Like, do you not find it distracting? Do you not find it this? Do you not find it that? And it's like that. That that argument presupposes that the adverts are here as like a public service. <laughs> or that, that no no or that they have some sort of artistic fucking merit yeah. and it's like it's like does it not when people say does it not distract you or does it not you it's the truth is you have no idea how hard an advert has to work to just in any way permeate my fucking consciousness i spend a lot of time online so like if you if a youtube ad starts playing I genuinely like turn the screen away or just leave. I have no interest. So, oh, there was a there was a black guy in that Duracell advert. Yeah, there was also a fucking bunny rabbit. I don't <laughs> fucking I don't give a shit. <laughs> no, I am quite susceptible to adverts. Um, what what one one uh, sort of repeating mantra in in my house said by me is that I will never join a cult. Like, I, like <laughs> there, is, there is no cult that is ever going to be good enough to get me right. To which Laura usually just shakes her head, knowing full well that I will absolutely join a cult. It is inevitable. At some point, I will be in something that can be described as a cult. Because I I can be sold things very easily. I do find myself quite susceptible to adverts. All it's going to take for you to join a cult is for them to have a nice jumpsuit. (laughs) if it looks looks kind of ghostbusters-y a bit you'll be like oh that i could wear wear that every day i like like looking at people in jumpsuits (laughs) like dan Harmon, who i obviously base a lot of my life choices around 
um, when he lost a lot of weight, he just started exclusively wearing boiler suits. <laughs> and, I've, and I've told Laura, I'm like, that's coming, by the way. I'm warning you about that right now. That is, that is going to happen. Speaking of like adverts, me, so you know that like when you live with somebody, um, the advertising algorithm treats you both as the same person. <laughs> yeah, we've had so, some very confusing adverts in our time. Yeah. yeah, so I constantly get adverts for like, like Emma's very career driven and like very focused that way. So I get like adverts for telling me to like employ agile uh, project management. Uh, at work and which is ridiculous whereas she gets adverts for like the things that she like for christmas she got me and i guess this couple of times the uh sound soundtrack to the movie miami collection on vinyl (laughs) (laughs) and i can't there's no way that any algorithm should be suggesting that to her that's the that's that's a me thing she's so occasionally see shit she's like what, what were you googling the other day? And I was like, oh, I was looking into like Japanese wrestling. It's like, right, because all I'm getting is tickets for the New Japan G1 climax. <laughs> See, I constantly get um, adverts about how to be a more uh, conscientious lover, which were obviously meant for Laura. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not fair. I'm gonna. Uh, that, one of my resolutions is to be a more conscientious lovemaker. <laughs> and and by that I mean I'm going to tell Laura more of the things that I enjoy because she's starting to look a bit bored with the stuff that she's doing at the moment. <laughs> I my big problem with resolutions is always <laughs> one of my big problems with resolutions. If I publicly say the what usually if I publicly say what my res- resolutions are, all that does is reveal to everybody how fucking terrible of a person I am. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do that less, and people are like, why were you doing that anyway? And it's like, well, <laughs> uh, you didn't notice before. <laughs> so anyway, that's Paul Stubbs guy. Um, yeah, he's I've got. He had a nice jacket. I've right, got that. So that he was wearing here's space what I tweed. From the episode, right? Space tweed. Yeah. yeah. Space Harris. Otherwise known as Mars. Um, so, from what I remember, he wants to do an experiment that's about the a star. dying star. The star's got to be at the right point. He's got to scan it. That's that's the thing. Yeah. And he's been wanting to do this for like twenty-seven years. Yeah. But and and now finally. The Enterprise has discovered a star system that is going to be this. So he's made a big box that will analyse it. And he's really mm-hmm. super excited because he's been waiting his whole career. His whole career's been been, been uh, building up to this. But then, uh-oh, Wesley Crusher once again has created life. <laughs> and <laughs> we're going to have... Pre- pre- press data, Mr. Data, press the button for Wesley Crusher has created life. <laughs> Yes. And, then a, and, then, and then a teal light comes on. It's that's teal alert. And then everyone in ten forward is like, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" So I guess we can't use the replicators for that at the moment. <laughs> and then the data. Sorry, you've, you've put us at teal alert. Can you go out to magenta? Oh, sorry, you didn't mention it was sentient. Uh, sentient life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he absolutely lets his nanites out. Yeah. And what I'm going to say is, he gets lucky because, like. Letting nanites out and start evolving could be the end of the human race, uh, all, all life in the universe. It also possibly. could have yet again evolved into something that Wesley's going to want to fuck, 
which is yet another Wesley storyline. How, how do you think the Nanites got out in the first place? Oh, it was a science experiment, was it, Wesley? Oh. It's a bit <laughs> yeah. sticky, isn't it? <laughs> how would Nanites feel on the balls? We don't know. It might tingle. Uh, Wesley was doing important research. I'd imagine pretty tingly. I, I imagine Nanites is feeling tingly because they're small, aren't they? They're like they're yeah. crawly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When so. does a Nanite become just a knight? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's only a nanite after the third generation. Hey. hey. <laughs> so he, so he's, so, he's invi- so he's invented these nanites, or he's let these nanites yeah. out. We're at magenta alert, and Paul stops. Yeah. Is like, sorry, I I came here for this thing that I've been waiting twenty seven years for, and, and you've screwed it up. And also, I'm going to sit here and imagine baseball games by reading stats cards rather than you know watching them on film or in the hollow deck. Wait, was that yeah. a thing? Yeah, he was like, I've got it written down because I jogged my memory. I'm sorry, my notes. He was like obsessed with like baseball scores, and and right. he was like, oh, you can read the stats and like know what the game played out. Like. I'm, like, I'm well, going to defend that um, because <laughs> I because I looked into this uh, after watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, there's a bit where they, there's a bit where they go to Wrigley Field and Simone uh, is like, uh, Ferris and Cameron are sort of having a chat. But Simone is like doing something. She's like writing something down, and I've seen that movie a lot. I always was curious about what she's writing down. So baseball scoring is like an art form in itself. It's, <laughs> it's not just like in football scoring where it would be one 0 and then you scrub out the one and you know two 0 right? It, it, it's almost like a like an analog kind of spreadsheet situation. Um, and the types of symbols that you write down and the way that you do it um, basically it does tell the story, it's almost like storyboarding the entire game, like if you know someone who can read that language you can hand it to them and say what happened at this point in the game and they will tell you it, so long as the scorekeeping was done well, they will tell you it to an accuracy that you could show that you could show them a game they've never seen and then play the game and it, and they, it would be exactly what they did so it is almost like it's 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 kind of like the difference between reading a book and watching a movie. Look, look I, I I agree with you. I, yeah. I agree with you that 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 is possible. But what you've described there is look look I'm, I'm, books are more boring than movies. So that's by a that, <laughs> that's I, a scientific fact. I, I think that this podcast is willing to stand behind that opinion. Yeah, no nobody's ever nobody. Nobody drops money to go and see a book on opening night. Anyway, right, <laughs> right. So, um, if so, by the same by people who like trans people. <laughs> yeah. So by by that logic, then the reading of the score court like books must be more boring than watching a game of baseball. And Mark, I didn't know it was possible for something to be more boring than watching a game of baseball. <laughs> right. Oh, and if you're a fan of baseball and you're listening to this and you're going, oh, English people like cricket. Right, okay. Cricket takes five days to play and I understand that that sounds like a lot. But I recently found out, Mark, that every time they play baseball, it's a best of 14. So, like, when they play a game of baseball, that's not the game. The game, the winner of the game of baseball isn't decided until they play for seven days. Okay, 
which means that's two days longer than cricket. Just because you call each day a game, it doesn't mean that it's fucking fucking liars, right? Fuck all baseball fans. <laughs> which I understand might be... Like, I like some American sports. I, I, just, I just won my NFL Fantasy League. And I, I won it because my uh, fucking opponent, my opponent's last player nearly killed a man, but and the game and the game had to stop. And the player, yeah, the player was like, I just need him to get less than six point eight eight points, and he got like one point nine. And I woke up in the morning, the game hadn't finished, and I was like, What's going on here? And it turns out that somebody tried to tackle him, and he hit him so hard his heart stopped. Yeah, <laughs> and then they had to stop the game. Now that's interesting. There's a symbol for that in baseball scoring. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the game where the guy's head exploded, isn't it? Because uh, how do you know that? This little symbol of a man with no head. Yeah, that's right. What else would that be? An, just an X. <laughs> oh. So he likes uh, so he likes baseball scoring and he and he, he yeah. talks to pro- probably Wesley about it. Can't really yeah. remember. Uh, I think he tries to kill the nanites at one point because they're fucking with his experiment, and then they're like, "You just attempted to genocide uh, a sentient but small race." Yeah. And he's like, at which point you can have an argument about how big does something have to be before it counts as a genocide. Uh, uh, and I say it's fine. Anything below three foot is fine. <laughs> um, you want to wipe out the Ewoks? Have at it. <laughs> yeah, because I guess. Because it is that thing of like. I guess from his perspective, he is really sad that he doesn't get to do that experiment just because they've done something. Is because at, at, at what point do you turn around and say, "Listen, this is Starfleet. We discover new life all the time." Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it part of the thing? Isn't it part of the thing that Captain <laughs> Picard says every morning when he wakes up over the other? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you reckon that you every that every Starfleet captain says that at the beginning of their shift? Yeah, they just go Wee-oo, and he goes, "This are the voyages of the," and they always say the Starship Enterprise, which yeah. is really confusing if you're on a different ship. <laughs> no, what's, what's, what's really annoying is, is when you're just sitting there and you're typing away, and all you hear is "ding bong, space." <laughs> oh, fuck, here we go. Final, the final frontier. Yeah, yeah. These are the voyages. Starship Enterprise. Yeah. He's continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations. <laughs> yep, just. Yep, yeah, let's yeah, go, let's yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. You know what would make, make it easier to seek out new life and new, <laughs> new, new civilizations if my work wasn't constantly being interrupted by this fucking speech? Imagine if, um, uh, imagine so. I imagine Riker as like chief of staff is the guy who has to, um, like he has to give disciplinaries and stuff, right? So imagine there's like, a, imagine there's like a helmsman, like an ensign that he's like, right, you come into the come into the conference room because I'm about to have a fucking chat with you. But Picard's just about to start his ship, so he starts giving it out to this ensign, and all of a sudden, bing bong, space, and they know that they just have to sit there in silence, staring at each other, as Picard. <laughs> Boldly go where no one has gone before. Do you think Picard sometimes does it in different accents? <laughs> Do you think Riker's ever going to have to have have ever had to have had a word with him about an offensive accent that he done once? I, I, <laughs> O'Brien's O'Brien's had a had a word with him. <laughs> yeah. The Space. final frontier. 
These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Yeah. No, I wasn't doing an Irish accent, O'Brien. I was doing the accent of that group of travellers we picked up from that planet a while ago who definitely weren't Irish. Then O'Brien's like, we're uh, travellers? Oh, we haven't called them that long, done, mate. There's a new one for them. And then Picard's like, you can't see anything these days. And then, and then O'Brien's like, yeah, you tell me, you're telling me. And then they go and have a pint together. Because let's face it, I love O'Brien. O'Brien is the best guy in Starfleet. But O'Brien definitely thinks you can't see anything these days. I, I, Brian, I, Brian, Which is, I if believe. If you want to like, have that opinion, that's fine. I, I'm not going to not be your friend because you don't think you can say anything these days. If, if I'm I, Brian, that specifically I, to a person, if you're listening to this, you know who you are, right? Yeah, I criticise you about it, right? But we are mates, so maybe take your fucking on board. Maybe just think to yourself, you know what? I do regularly appear on television. Maybe I'm not being cancelled. Not going to go any further into that private conversation. <laughs> If you're listening, you are my O'Brien. No, you're not my O'Brien. No, that's no, no, no one's my O'Brien. Bill Egan's probably my O'Brien. <laughs> do, you, do you need me here for any of this? No. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> oh my god! No. To be fair though, if like first of all, O'Brien gets away. It's not. It's more established in Deep Space Nine, but O'Brien. Is, is just a full-on space racist against some people. Uh, but they are the Cardassians, so yeah. uh, it's, it's difficult when it's like, yeah, they're like, oh, the, the Cardassians are all evil, murderous bastards. And it's like, well, I'm certain two of them aren't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, she was she was half Bajoran. Uh, no, you're right. You're right, they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like how uh, I, I, I was telling you um, there's a game that I've been somewhat... Basically, there's there's like a, a style of game that I get quite obsessed with, uh, which is basically the, the stealth sandbox. Yeah. It's like Hitman. Hitman Hitman's kind of the, the biggest example of this. Uh, but there's also Sniper Elite 5. So Sniper Elite 5... You're playing as a guy, and he's in the SOE, which is kind of the Special Operations Executive, I think. So the, the, the kind of precursor to the SAS. It's, it's kind of the idea yeah. of sending a lunatic and throw lunatics at a problem until we solve it. Um, and uh, the Sniper Elite games are very good because you're in World War II, and basically it, they, they just say, here's a sandbox, here's a gun, there's some Nazis over there. Go nuts, right? That's, that's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's what I want. But in this game, they really started leaning into quite a weird little uh, little mechanic, which is when you get the binoculars out to to uh, for anyone who's, who can't see this, I'm miming binoculars um, yeah. to to scope to kind of figure out. Where I love, I love, sorry, can, can we just address this? Mark is worried that you won't understand what he means by binoculars, so he's going to mime them, and then he's going to tell you that he's miming them. But if you don't understand what binoculars are, him not describing the mime in any way would mean that this is essentially useless. It's why I'm not uh, describing <laughs> the taste of the binoculars. So <laughs> you, you, you put the binoculars on, you look out, and you're like, there's a Nazi over there, and it'll be like, uh, here's the guns he's got, here's his, here's his heart rate, because he's not scared yet, because you haven't shot all of his pals around them. Um, <laughs> but then it'll give you his name and a little tidbit about them. And normally it'll be like uh, Hans... Hans uh, Schaefer uh, plans to name his first kid Adolf after the Führer, right? And you're like, oh, good, right? You're, you're, fuck you, right? I, I feel nothing about <laughs> telling you. Um, 
and then it'll be like uh, like oh uh grassed on his parents uh for, for like anti-hitler sentiment and all that and you're like right good you can get shot in the stomach because it, it'll like you the pain will last longer um but then occasionally you'll get one where it'll be like a little guy and he'll say uh used to be a stand-up comedian still writes comics about how terrible hitler is uh in secret even though he knows that the ss like will kill him for it mm. and sometimes i'm like oh shit you've given you've given me a game where you've mm. basically given me a playground to kill nazis in, and now you're making me sympathetic towards some of the nazis <laughs> well played game because like the last of us two did this right i I'm on the record. I didn't really like The Last of Us 1. I have no time for The Last of Us 2. The only thing I know about The Last of Us 2 is that they went out of their way to give all of the random cannon fodder enemies, like, names and, like, yeah. some sort of personality. So, like, if you kill one of them, someone else will be like, have you seen Michael? He had food for my family, or whatever. But, like, I'm just <laughs> yeah. like, we're in, the we're in the fucking apocalypse, bitch. It's, it's man... It's, it's dog eat dog, right? I don't care if you get people's names. I'm, I'm going to stab you anyway. In fact, I want to learn your names so that I can call them out as a fucking shunk the knife straight into the small of your back. That's the way I like to enjoy The Last of Us 2, right? But this game, where the Nazis are demonstrably <laughs> really bad, I'm just like, oh man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit back and take stock. This guy seems all right. Like, some, some, of, the, some of them are like, sell secrets to the, the resistance. And I'm like, I can't kill this guy. I know obviously that that didn't happen. This guy wasn't real, and that when I turn off these Xbox, these people are going to cease to exist, which is, you know, an existential crisis all on its own. But I'm not killing. People. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna head. I'm not gonna shoot the guy who sells secrets to the resistance just because the game makes a big thing of it when I hit him in the balls. Does that, you reckon they have that on the um, like the settings on the Hollow Deck when you like you load up like Indiana Jones? You want to play? Yeah, you want Indiana Jones. What level do you want your Nazi set to? It's like top level is true believer. <laughs> bottom, <laughs> bottom level is moderately sympathetic. Yeah, number two is just conscript. Yeah, never fully sympathetic because they can always you know left. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but actively bringing them down from the inside. Yeah, oh. <laughs> man, man, I fucking hate Nazis. Uh, but, yeah, um, if, yeah, if, that's, if, that's if, why I really like games that, that that let you kill them in really fun and inventive ways. That thing that you're talking about in The Last of Us Two, it's worse than that. Like they have the main character, they have one of the characters from The Last of Us One who you're supposed to love and respect and and like, and to like imply that like her cycle of revenge that she's got locked into is, is incredibly bad for her. All of her bad guys have that, like, stuff set up. But then halfway through the game, you flip to the... Uh, the you play as the other character, who is the person you're hunting down, trying to get revenge on. So you meet all of, like, these characters and see their life and their community that they've built. But you need enemies for her to fight. So she ends up friends with uh, an escapee from another nearby um, uh, civil, like society... Um, and that kid is being hunted to the death for the crime of being trans, so that you can feel absolutely no moral problem whatsoever with killing all the people that she has to kill in exactly the same way, because that's morally acceptable because they're religious zealots. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's. Oh, they, they, I'm just gonna say this. I like The Last of Us, and I played The Last of Us Two all the way through, and I actually think The Last of Us Two is a good game. But just from a story perspective, The Last of Us Two doesn't need to exist beyond the first ten minutes where Joel dies. Um, and if you're surprised that Joel died and you're upset about it, um, a tough. It was the obvious only uh, only thing that could happen story wise. You idiot. Yeah. <clears throat> I liked the first ten minutes of The Last of Us One. Uh, when you were escaping <laughs> that little town, yeah, and then after and then it, you... the game just really wanted me to feel sad about a giraffe, and I just I don't <laughs> like being told what to feel, and that idea is why I'll never be in a cult. <laughs> <laughs> Until there's a cult that comes along that's like, guys, yeah, we we all felt the same way about that giraffe. Oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> Glad it's not just me. Um, uh, well, sorry if this was your favourite episode of Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was nice I've to, got just nice re- to catch up. <laughs> I've got one thing in my notes that just says... is Because uh, uh, these are chicken scratch, and I have no idea of how they work, but I've just got written down the line. Uh, apparently, the, at one point, the, 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 AI, the, the, the nanites say, what is mercy? And I've just got, that's a great line to hear from an AI, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, next next week, I assume, next we'll week, have... It, have every, yeah. Everybody says next gen starts at three. Yeah. It starts, so I imagine from next week, we'll, we'll have a lot more actual track. I mean, this was a better episode than your standard nothing episode of like one or like there, there's yeah, nothing in this episode offended or upset me and the production seemed better so and if if I had been like it, it, if I had been watching it at the time and this was the episode they came back on I'd probably be a bit sad but if I was just having a hangover day and I turned on Sky Sci-Fi and this was the episode that was about to start I'd, I'd be happy enough yeah 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 it's an alright one yeah so yeah I think they give the nanites a planet. That's because <laughs> there's low. Yes. <laughs> did you I die as a Mormon and you got to your planet and it was the nanite planet? Did, did, uh, the way I understand it, what the Mormons mercy? believe that. So I don't know if it's the Mormons or if it's Jehovah's Witnesses, but they believe that only a certain number of people will get into heaven, they, and I, they're I think this is the Mormons. And their current membership is already way higher than that number? Yep. So what's the point? <laughs> Am I trying to work my way to get another Mormon booted out? <laughs> it's like, oh, Greg's not been a particularly good Mormon this month. Maybe I can nudge him down well, you know, yeah, but, but you know the way that they say, like, <laughs> like if you if you run like a comedy open mic night or something, you, you shouldn't let people in for free. You should make people pay a pound. Even though that's barely not that's barely anything, but it makes people appreciate it a little bit more because they've paid something. Maybe that's what it's about. Maybe maybe it's like if you were in a religion, like Catholicism is basically, look, just be good, be good, and be sorry about the kids that you fucked, and you'll be fine, right? But if you had an action, if you if Catholicism was like, be good, be sorry about the kids that you fucked, but only the top two hundred thousand Catholics are getting in. <laughs> people will be like, like people like gamifying it. Like, I guess, I, I guess the, the only thing about the Mormon thing is that you'd have to have a league table. If if, if 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 anybody out there wants a money making like gold mine, 
if you are the person that who can turn the Church of Latter Day Saints into an app, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, you did four Mormonings today. Uh, you get I don't know. I don't know what, what I don't know what Mormons do. Because I guess also every time that maybe if there's a Mormon who's like a particularly good Mormon, and then they die, it would be like retiring a jersey, like in a sports team. <laughs> Like it's like, no, that's not gone. No, now there's one less slot for us all to fight over. <laughs> oh, see, my my friend uh, Elle was raised uh, as a Jehovah's Witness, and she got out, and she'd be dead now if she was still a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, because she had a she genuinely she had a um, uh, a very rough um, uh, miscarriage a few years back, and um, she lost eight pints of blood. Jesus. Uh, and as 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 I, as she told me in the hospital well she was still very much up uh uh very much like full of painkillers she pointed at uh she pointed at her husband and said he's a lucky man i lost eight pints of blood and none of it came out downstairs tighter than a dolphin's blowhole (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh and, and the reason that for many years i did give blood i'm not allowed to anymore though uh because of the the tumors uh, as you said, you're not allowed to give blood, even though I, I don't. I'm pretty certain they're non-contagious. Uh, <laughs> also, there hasn't been a terror attack for a while, so there's no reason for you to to give blood immediately. <laughs> no, shouldn't we give Wait blood now? Weeks. There are no terrorist attacks. Yes, exactly. That's the point. Yeah, yeah. So give give blood yeah. now. Don't give blood now. Don't wait for a terror attack. Give blood now. Uh, That's what I should do. We should release adverts. Um, <laughs> I mean, but obviously, don't don't follow that logic all the way through because the alternative is if you want to increase a spike in blood donations, do a terror attack. Uh, Nine Eleven was. <laughs> was a blood drive. Uh, <laughs> right. See you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> The Captain Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at Ed Edwards Comedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog. <laughs>